Hey there, and welcome back to the Doc Buddy Journal. I'm your host, Eric Sunset. This episode is being recorded on Tuesday, March 14th, 2023. So either thanks for coming back and uh, spending a little more time with us here at the Doc Buddy Journal, or if this is your first episode, welcome. We're happy to have you. As usual, we'll ask that if you're not already subscribed, be sure you hit that button on either Apple Podcasts or Spotify, or both. So you can always listen to our newest episodes of the Doc Buddy Journal. And we're going to get right into it today. Today we are looking at a pretty interesting piece that ran on Becker's Healthcare and its trends that are scaring physicians. And obviously there's a few tie-ins here with burnout, with the looming shortage of physicians that the country is set to experience. Um, but first, there's a kind of an interesting piece of feedback here from Dr. Eric Eskialu, who's a neurosurgeon based in Charlotte, North Carolina. One of the things that's on his mind uh, when surveyed by Beckers uh, was this quote, with medical knowledge doubling every 72 days, we need to relegate memorization and patient data search to artificial intelligence lessen the cognitive burden on physicians, thereby increasing the amount they spend on higher judgment problem-solving skills on their patients' health care. It makes a lot of sense to me, and I also didn't know that medical knowledge doubled every 72 days, so that's a pretty interesting stat. I think you're probably ahead of the curve, uh, or you're really dialed in physician if you already knew that one. And this is going to put me on a little bit of a tangent, but by AI or artificial intelligence, what we're really talking about is machine learning. So again, I'm on my soapbox a little bit here, but AI, that's a buzzword. Um, it's in the news with things like chat GPT, but AI or generalized AI doesn't actually currently exist, um, at least not in the true sense of the word. Um, when you look at some of the, uh, the data scientists and their takes on this that aren't trying to sell you a product uh, that has, and this is in air quotes, AI embedded in it, um, we are a pretty long ways away from that, potentially even as far away as the general adoption of quantum, quantum computing, if AI is even something we could ever recreate. Um, really what we're talking about is statistical prediction based on huge amounts of data being pushed through a model or a formula or an algorithm, pick whatever term you like. And these uh, statistical models can still be very useful. Uh, but AI is just a little bit of a misnomer. And at our current level of sophistication with tools like this, the outputs still need human oversight to be sure they are appropriate and most importantly, correct. So as I sit here in my, in my marketing chair, some of the stuff that you're seeing on social media and LinkedIn in particular about chat GPT being the, the next wave and it's going to replace jobs and there's not going to be anything left for people to do because it's so powerful. I don't think that's necessarily true. And Dr. Eschiala makes a great point. I don't mean to pick on his, uh, his use of the term AI here, um, but he makes a great point uh, that physicians should increase the amount they spend on higher judgment problem-solving skills on their patients' healthcare and on their outcomes. And he's absolutely right. And I think we probably should be adopting uh, more broadly these machine learning tools or call it AI if you absolutely have to. But they still need a ton of human input, and they still need even more human uh, oversight and decision-making on the outcome. 
Okay, thanks for humoring me there. Now that I'm off of my soapbox about AI, I know people get really passionate about that, especially those building these tools. And uh, I think we should just call them what they are. It's a statistical model, uh, artificial intelligence, even something that is really domain specific and domain focused, call it what it is, it's machine learning. Uh, back to the crux of the episode today, the core of what we actually want to talk through is the fear of the impending shortage of physicians. Um, that is the recurring theme. Obviously, this will be linked in the episode description. That way you'll be able to take a look at it for yourself and uh, formulate your own thoughts and opinions on it. Uh, but one respondent shared a partial cause of this uh, looming shortage of physicians. It's rooted in, and I quote, poor payer behavior, predatory large emergency room groups, Horrendous No Surprises Act processes, artificially low Medicare and Medicaid payments, and Kaiser Permanente cutting reimbursement between 40 and 70%. Yeah, those, uh, those would certainly be a roadblock or a barrier if you're considering med school, if you're considering becoming a physician, if you were aware of these dynamics. Yeah, that may, uh, that may steer you towards either a related profession or another field entirely. Another provider shared this quote, I am wary of accelerating wages for healthcare workers, except for physicians, further exacerbating income prospects. And obviously, part of the allure of becoming efficient of, of a physician is your income. Um, it's a, a highly regarded field. And, you know, to date, you're compensated for your expertise as such. And if that aspect of the profession is deteriorating, well, it's really not that hard to connect the dots. Less people will want to take on the enormous financial and time cost of being a physician. Next, there's a little bit of a reality check with what's going on in the physician workforce. Obviously, if you're a provider, you're living this reality. You know it. If you're not a provider, though, you may not be aware. And this is a quote from the article. Currently, half of practicing physicians are over the age of 55 and getting ready for retirement. The quote continues, with an increasing elderly population and demand for more complex medical issues, I see the physician supply versus demand coming to a head soon. And we talked about this in an earlier episode of the Doc Buddy Journal, how burnout, how income disparities, and how just the overall stress and rigor of being a physician is causing providers to retire early en masse. And that's a big problem. Um, there's another concern that echoes the sentiment. The physician at bedside nursing shortages have worsened since the pandemic. One trend over the past several years has been to increase the scope of practice for non-physicians, resulting in the replacement of physicians. So what can you do? You know you're going to run out of physicians in the near future. Maybe we can expand the scope of mid-level providers like nurse practitioners and physician's assistants. Well, not so fast, my friends. Dr. Lance Wobis. And there at Richmond University Medical Center in New York City shares a pretty salient point here, I think. This is a quote uh, from Dr. Wobis. I'm an activist in opposing the expansion of independent practice for nurse practitioners and PAs. The NPs and PAs I work with and have seen as a patient have been very capable, but it is just not the case that after four years of med school, including two in clinical work, and four years as a practicing but supervised psychiatrist, the clinical care I provide is equivalent to that of an NP or a PA. I think this trend will also be detrimental to healthcare. 
And for clarity in the quote, it's a, it's a really good thought. <clears throat> but for clarity, Dr. Wobus is saying that after all this uh, schooling and after residency, uh, four years practicing, he's saying that the clinical care I provide is just not the same as that of a nurse practitioner or physician's assistant. So that begs the question, is the care the same? Are patient outcomes the same? Well, there are differences, and depending on which study you're looking at, and there are many, by the way, there are many that you can go and uh, find the difference in outcomes and care. Um, depending on the study you're looking at, they're either about the same for a provider, so an MD or DO versus a mid-level provider. They're about the same, or they could be slightly better, or slightly worse, or there could be differences in protocols and decision-making for a given condition. One of the studies I saw uh, noted that when care was provided by a mid-level, there was virtually zero change in a blood pressure medication protocol, whereas a physician provider um, in this study would have made a change to impact that patient's blood pressure with their medication, whereas it was left status quo in the mid-level uh, group. So. Uh, is that a big deal? Hard to say. The study uh, didn't track these patients through their entire life to be able to give you a definitive answer there. Um, and then when you look at what, how are things happening today with mid-level providers, the current state of practice is that about half of the states in the U.S. allow nurse practitioners to practice independently without physician oversight. Now, my guess um, and this is my opinion here, my guess is that as individual states either feel confident in their prediction of a lack of physicians or start to feel the crunch, they'll expand independent practice to mid-levels, kind of ad hoc. Uh, because what else can you do? If you're the governor of the state and you have all of the groups, all the uh, state associations, the hospitals, all of your, uh, your lobbying types telling you that there is a shortage of physicians coming, you're going to have to be reactive. Uh, we all know how our government works, whether it's at the state level or the federal level. Unfortunately, we end up being more reactive than proactive to issues arising. So they're going to take uh, a pen and paper to this issue and look to solve it by expanding scope to mid-levels. And that'll do a few things, right? That'll give you greater access to care. Uh, you'll be able to treat more patients and you'll be able to keep an eye on more outcomes as opposed to the opposite, which is people waiting longer, people having their care deferred, uh, chronic conditions worsening, all the things that we already know to be true when folks can't receive health care. But is that the right thing? Again, you look at all the studies on, on outcomes, uh, they're really pretty equal in most regards. Some are slightly better, some are slightly worse. Sure, there's condition-dependent studies where you really do need a physician, uh, to be managing the care of their patients or overseeing mid-level provider to do the same. Um, but that's how, the, that's how the states, I guess, will, will react to this. They're going to write into law, uh, make changes to existing laws that mid-level providers can now operate their own independent practice. And I get it. I'm, I'm not here to tell you if that's a, a good thing or a bad thing. You'll have to form your own opinion on that. But the way we've seen uh, issues like this happen in the past, the quick fix is uh, what's undertaken as opposed to investing in a longer term strategy that either subverts the coming issue or that uh, eliminates it altogether. So we're going to look at one more quote out of the article. 
Marsha Haley, MD, Clinical Assistant Professor of Radiation Oncology at the University of Pittsburgh School of Medicine, gives you an idea of what could be done, what you could do to get out in front of this. And this is more geared towards the nursing shortage than the physician shortage, but I think the same concept applies. Um, and her quote goes, some politicians use quick fixes for these issues instead of investing in long-term solutions such as increasing residency positions and investing in quality nursing education and nurse retention. And obviously, this is a complex problem. Um, when you look at an economic system, which I think it's fair to say what we're talking about is an economic system, there is a lot of ink spilled, there are a lot of thoughts given, and oftentimes the system is too complex to really predict with a single, a single metric. Uh, the holistic fix is tough. And I'll just share quickly, you know, can anybody really predict what the stock market's going to do? And the answer is no. Um, if you could, we'd all be filthy rich millionaires. There'd be no guesswork involved in economies. But there is. There's uncertainty. There's black swan events that you can't predict or can't see coming. And what we're looking at here with the physician shortage, the looming physician shortage, there are absolutely ways to head this off at the pass, but it's almost too late. We're going to be essentially, my prediction is we'll be going ad hoc, state by state, expanding uh, the scope of practice for mid-levels. And again, good thing, bad thing. I'm not sure that's for me to say, um, but that's fairly obvious. That's the path uh, that we're walking down. So from a macro level, how do you get more people interested in becoming a physician? And there are certainly folks smarter than me that have some answers and some suggestions there. But from a more micro level, to keep more physicians in their profession and to keep them from retiring early, you absolutely need to be addressing what is giving them their sensation of burnout. And we know this is real. We see it. We've, we've talked before about how burnout is driving physicians to retire early. And the key, the key causes of this burnout are the health IT products that they're forced to use and begrudgingly use. They feel like there's a lack of control, less time in front of patients. You know, everything that we've, we've covered before and that you hear in the news, um, if you're able to solve physician workflow issues, you're able to potentially keep more physicians practicing, stave off the shortage, at least in the short term, until some of the more macro issues can be resolved. And we heard, we heard earlier from some of the respondents to the Becker's article, uh, poor payer behavior, uh, horrendous No Surprise Act, and that's uh, No Surprises Billing Act processes, and artificially low Medicare and Medicaid payments. It comes down to the, uh, the reimbursement that a physician is earning and then the process that they have to go through to get it. So being able to streamline provider workflows, and obviously that's a topic we're highly passionate about here at DocBuddy, uh, giving providers, their care teams, and their staffs more time for life um, by uh, providing them mobility and interoperability tools that run right off of their phone. If you're able to ease these symptoms of burnout, or the causes of burnout, rather, you'll likely be able to keep physicians practicing longer. And with a tool like DocBuddy, you're able to focus more on your patients, less on administrative burdens, get more time for life. And we, we hear it from clients up and down. You know, we're headquartered in Colorado. It's still ski season. 
uh, out west. And from the amount of snow that I uh, am seeing the west get, it's going to be ski season um, right up until they're tired of running the lifts. But we hear regularly from providers that when they take their family up to the mountains to ski, where they traditionally be coming home early Sunday morning because they have a stack of charts waiting for them to complete, now with a tool like DocBuddy, they're able to ski the whole day Sunday, potentially even come back early Monday morning because there isn't any documentation left for them to handle. Uh, there isn't any documentation left for them to complete because of DocBuddy. And I'll pose this question for all my uh, non-provider or non-clinical listeners. Just imagine your job. Imagine that if at the end of your workday, you go home and you know you have another two hours of work that has to be completed, and the physicians call this pajama time because they're finishing charts in their PJs, they're, uh, you know, they have their laptop open uh, in their office or watching TV, and they're, uh, they're, they're pounding out the rest of their notes. Imagine what that would feel like for you. How much longer would you want to do that job if you knew that essentially every single day you had an extra two or three hours of work waiting for you after your workday was already over? Imagine if every single weekend was cut short because you had documentation to complete. You had more work to do every single weekend. That would be brutal. But that's what physicians using legacy softwares and legacy health IT tools are faced with. So I don't blame them. I don't blame them one bit that they are ready to hang it up. They've had a great career. Um, and now I just have so much extra work to do. It's just, it's just not worth it. I'm going to be done. And with that, we're getting a little bit into stream of consciousness territory. I'm not sure that makes for great radio or great podcast listening. So let's, let's stop rolling the tape there. Until next time please be sure that you're subscribed to the podcast on your favorite podcast app, as long as that's Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You want to be sure to follow DocBuddy on LinkedIn as well. So get yourself logged into LinkedIn, search DocBuddy, click the follow button on our company page. That is our hottest social media property where all the action is. And until next time, I want to thank you on behalf of the entire DocBuddy team for listening, and we will talk to you soon.